Thank you very much. That's really for ICE, I have to tell you. That's not for me. That's for ICE. Please sit down. We're here today to salute the incredibly brave patriots who keep America safe, the heroes of ICE and CBC. To everyone here today from Immigration and Customs Enforcement, Customs and Border Protection, I want to let you know that we love you, we support you, we will always have your back, and I think you know that. I want to thank a true and loyal friend of ICE and CBC, our wonderful Vice President, Mike Pence. Thank you, Mike. Beautiful. Thank you, Mike. Stand up, Mike. Stand up. Great, Mike. Great job. I want to share my profound appreciation for our wonderful Secretary of Homeland Security, Kirsten Nielsen. Where is Kirsten? Kirsten, thank you. Thank you. Great job. You're doing a great job. Not easy. If we got some good immigration laws, she'd really set standard. But we've already broken every record in the book, haven't we? So thank you very much, Kirsten. Everyone here today understands a vital truth, that America is a land of opportunity because we are a nation of laws. For America to be a strong nation, we must have strong borders. Helping to lead that effort are great patriots in the audience today, including our new acting director of ICE, Ron Vitello. Where's Ron? Ron, thank you, Ron. Stand up, Ron. Great job. Good. Thank you, Ron. And the Commissioner of U.S. Customs and Border Protection, Kevin McAleen. Kevin, thank you. The new chief of the U.S. Border Patrol, the first woman ever to hold the job, Carla Provost. Carla, thank you. Congratulations. Congratulations, Carla. And our new Acting Deputy Director of ICE, Matt Albans. Where is Matt? Matt. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. We're also grateful to be joined today by a really wonderful friend of mine and a tremendous senator, and that's David Perdue. David, come on, David. You've done a great job, David. We really appreciate it. People of Georgia really appreciate it, that I can tell you. Thank you very much. Many state and local partners are represented in the audience, including Arizona Governor Doug Ducey. Doug, thank you, Doug, for being here. Thank you, Doug. Great job you're doing. A wonderful man, Alabama Attorney General Steve Marshall. Steve, thank you very much. Thank you. Friend of mine, South Carolina Attorney General Alan Wilson, and sheriffs from all around the country. Thank you, Alan. Thank you. <laughs> sheriffs, thank you. Say hello to your father. Most importantly, let me extend my gratitude to every law enforcement professional representing ICE and CBC, enforcement and removal operations, Homeland Security investigations, ICE prosecutors, the Office of Field Operations, Air and Marine Operations and Border Patrol, 
You're incredible people. You do an unbelievable job. You're not appreciated enough, but I'll tell you what, 99%, we get it. We really get it. We love you. We'll always be with you. We'll never let you down. Thank you very much for being here, too. Over the last year, these are incredible numbers. ICE and CBC seized more than 2.8 million pounds of illicit and deadly narcotics. A lot of people would have died. In the interior of our country, ICE officers arrested over 127,000 criminal aliens. And these are tough ones, too, aren't they, fellows, right? These are tough. These were tough ones including those charged or convicted of 48,000 assaults, 12,000 sex crimes, and 1,800 homicides. We need strong people to handle those people. We don't play games, right? We don't play games. Every day, on average, CBC prevents 10 known or suspected terrorists from entering the United States. What a job you've done. To protect our nation from smuggling, trafficking, drugs, crime, the men and women of DHS are building the border wall as we sit. And the wall is getting longer and taller and stronger each and every day. We've spent and will soon be spending about $3.2 billion, and we're looking for about $5 billion for this next coming year. We're building the wall step by step, and it's not easy because we have a little opposition called the Democrats. I guess they just don't mind crime. They don't mind crime. It's pretty sad. Just this past month, CBC officers at a single port of entry discovered more than 30,000 fentanyl pills, 62 pounds of meth. That's a lot. And 11 pounds of heroin. Two of those officers are here, Alfredo Olfato and David. Schiadono. Where are they? Where are they? They're right here. Stand up, please. And Alfredo, David, thank you for the amazing job you've done. We all appreciate it. Everybody in this room, everybody in this country, just over a week ago, a human smuggler was arrested in Laredo for locking, and really locking, a horrible 78 illegal aliens inside of a trailer. The Border Patrol agent who caught the accused and likely really saved many lives, uh, he's here with us. And Adrian, where's Adrian? Adrian's here with us. Thank you, Adrian. Great job. Thank you. It's a lot of lives. That's great. Adrian, come here. I want to ask you a question. So, uh, how did you come here? Come here. You're not nervous, right? <laughs> Speaks perfect English. Come here. I want to ask you about that. 78 lives. You saved 78 people. So, how did you feel that there were people in that trailer? There's a lot of trailers around. Please. He didn't know he was going to do this, but it's just of interest. Uh, first and foremost, uh, thank you uh, for allowing me to come from Laredo. Um, on behalf of Border Patrol, thank you as well. Um, 
It all started that day. Uh, I had a canine alert. A uh, vehicle was referred to secondary, and um, once a vehicle was referred to secondary, or the track trailer, I'm sorry, was referred to secondary, the vehicle proceeded to elude and flee the checkpoint. Uh, shortly after, uh, the vehicle was stopped at the approximately 30, mark, 30 mile marker, which is uh, a mile north of the checkpoint. Um, subsequently, I went out there and uh, I ran the dog, conducted a non-intrusive non search of the vehicle, of the track trailer, and once again, the canine alerted. And uh, subsequently, I opened the little latch of the back of the track trailer and uh, revealed a lot of uh, subjects I quickly asked for backup, and um, backup got there, and uh, the subjects were were transported back to the uh, transport uh, back to the checkpoint, and uh, all of them were in good health. Fantastic job! Thank you. What a good job he did! What a good job! Now you know tomorrow he's going to be. He's like that so much. He didn't know he was going to do. It. Tomorrow, he will be announcing that he's running for office. <laughs> Good job. 78 people safe. Thank you very much, Adrian. Last month, under Operation Eagle Shield, right here in the D.C. area, ICE officers arrested 132 illegal aliens, including criminal aliens charged or convicted of rape, battery, and strangulation. Among those arrested was a high-ranking MS-13 gang member who has four prior convictions for rape and federal warrant for felony assault with a deadly weapon. Bad, bad person. Enforcement and removal officers Daniel Nichols and Mark Colazzo, together with Nancy Roto, each played a crucial role. And I want to thank you, officers, that I believe you're here. Where are you? Please, stand up. Stand up. Great job. You did a great job right here. Nancy, you want to say something? Come on, come on up here, the three of you. I find listening to these folks, they're very brave. I find them a lot more interesting than listening to the president. Come on up here. Come on up. Thank you. It's an honor working for Immigration and Customs Enforcement. We're here to um, serve and protect our nation, and we're proud to do it every day. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Want to say go ahead? Hello, everyone. My name is Mark Colazzo. I work for the Washington Field Office, and just as what we do is making everyone a safe and a safe and a, a safe and Protected place, everybody. That's what my job is, and I appreciate everyone coming out here and commemorating and giving thanks. Thank you. It's a great people, brave people. ICE's Operation Matador recently led to the arrest of 325 members of MS-13, a vicious, violent, horrible gang horrible group of people. And we're throwing them the hell out of our country so fast, your head would spin. But too many were allowed in. <laughs> Special Agent Derek Bergman, 
who helped lead the operation, is here with us today. And Derek, where are you? I want you to — you're a brave-looking guy. Come here, Derek, fast. <laughs> Hurry up, Derek. Come on. I wasn't expecting this, but uh, I guess I would say that, uh, it, you know, at Operation Matador, uh, we had a, you know, a lot of violence on Long Island and in the New York area. So the response started really with the leadership um, that supported us and was able to uh, allow us to go out there and, and do what we had to do. And uh, it really speaks to the collaborative effort that we had with our state and local partners and other federal agencies that everybody was able to get together and, um, assist each other in different facets of the of the operation and um, hopefully we're able to make a difference in the communities because that's ultimately uh, why we were doing it was to make those neighborhoods safe for the people that inhabit them so hopefully beautiful. we're able to do that that's a beautiful job Thank you. Thank you. and i know long island very well and i can tell you that when i hear some of the stories i grew up there essentially very near and i know every one of the towns and to hear some of the stories going on with MS-13, you wouldn't believe it. And uh, they're doing an incredible job. They're actually liberating towns. Think of it. We're talking about liberating towns where you'd walk down the street at night 20 years ago, 30 years ago. You wouldn't even think about it. People didn't lock their doors. And today, we're liberating towns. And this is what we have coming in, but we're getting them out. We're also — thank you. It hits home when you know the towns. It hits home when you grew up there. That's where it really hits, when you can't even believe it's happening. We're also deeply honored to be joined today by family members of four fallen Border Patrol agents, Luis Aguilar, Nicholas Ivey, Rogelio Martinez, and Brian Terry. And I just met the folks and the, the people and the children, and these are incredible people. Could I ask you to stand, please? What incredible people. We just took pictures backstage and uh, there's some wonderful people looking down on all of us today. You know that, right? Great people looking down on us, and they're very happy and proud of you. Our gratitude to all of you and the memories of your loved ones, uh, because they will be honored and cherished forever in our hearts, and all of our hearts, everybody in this room. Thank you very much. Today, I sent a letter to state and local leaders across our nation asking them to pledge their full support and cooperation with the officers and agents of ICE and CBC. Sadly, in recent months, incredibly, I have to say, incredibly, a coalition of open borders extremists — and to me, that means crime, people that don't mind crime. They mind it when it happens to them. They don't mind it when they have to watch it on television — have waged an unprecedented assault on American law enforcement our greatest people, threatening ICE and Border Patrol for performing their duties admirably and for defending our country from horrible people and horrible, horrible events and crimes. In major cities across the nation, these open-border radicals have blocked access 
to ICE buildings, to face public property and threatened public safety. And what you hear in the newspapers and on the news is nothing compared to the way it really is. And we're stopping it very, very strongly. But that you have to go through what you're going through, and for you have to be having to be demeaned by people that have no idea what strength is, is uh, really very sad, and we fight it very hard. And I can tell you, all of these people right here and all of the people in this room, uh, we will never let you down. And I will also say, you're talking about the vast majority. I don't mean like 51 percent. I mean like 88 percent, 93 percent. I've seen numbers. They're all with you. It's just a small group that gets a lot of publicity because they have no courage, they have no guts, they just have big, loud mouths. And we don't want to put up with that. And I just want you to know that you're loved. You're loved and you're respected as much as anybody in this country is respected. Last month, the mayor of Portland, Oregon, shamefully ordered local police to stand down, leaving federal law enforcement officers to face an angry mob of violent people. Leading members of the Democrat Party have even launched a campaign to abolish ICE. In other words, they want to abolish America's borders. And when you think about it, I'm working on it all the time. They come in. We're protecting borders of other countries, but we don't protect our own borders. How about that? Spending billions and billions of dollars in other countries, in some cases, places we shouldn't be, to protect their borders, but we don't protect our own border. We condemn these shameful attacks on our great law enforcement. Any politician who puts criminal aliens before American citizens should find a new line of work, because it's not going to work. Not going to work. And any politicians that get up and say that our country was never great, you heard that. I think that's the end of that career. <laughs> Congressional Democrats have opposed Kate's law, opposed legislation to crack down on MS-13 thugs, and supported deadly sanctuary cities, which are a disaster and which are becoming, on a weekly basis, more and more unpopular with the public. A lot has happened in the last two years. Last month, House Democrats even boycotted a resolution supporting our brave ICE officers and agents. But I will say this, the Republicans were with you all the way, all the way. And we won. We actually, we won. This new wave of anti-borders, anti-law enforcement extremism, and shameful, dangerous, it's horrible in every way, and it's going to stop. It's going to stop right now. It's going to stop today. We slowed it down. Now we're stopping it. We will never surrender our nation to the forces of anarchy and chaos and crime. We will not allow our communities to be consumed by deadly poisons and violent predators. The poisons are flowing across our border, and we're hitting it from every angle. But we need new laws. We need border laws. We need immigration laws. 
We need them fast. We're going to get them. Hopefully, the midterms will help toward that end. I think we're going to do very well in the midterms, and this is one of the very big reasons. The fact is, people respect law and order, and they love our law enforcement. And I think we're going to have much more of a red wave than what you're going to see as a phony blue wave. Blue wave means crime. It means open borders. Not good. We will not stand for the vile smears, the hateful attacks, and the vicious assaults on the courageous men and women of ICE and Border Patrol and law enforcement. We will protect those who protect us. The extremists who attack ICE and CBC like to portray themselves as champions of social justice. They are not. But their radical policies are the ultimate injustice, hurting innocent Americans and spilling innocent blood. People are dying because of their either lack of knowledge, lack of understanding, or just plain stupidity. Last year alone, sanctuary jurisdictions and local communities unleashed nearly 8,000 criminal aliens onto our streets. Our laws are no good. Our immigration laws are broken. They've been broken for many years, and the world is laughing at us. The world is laughing at the stupidity of what we have done with immigration. But we're getting it changed, and it's actually taking place much more so and much quicker, I think, than anybody understands, because people really now understand the problem. We're pushing very, very hard. In California, Sanctuary Policy has released a domestic abuser. He is a suspected killer. They think he killed his girlfriend just two weeks after his release. Uh, it will be determined very shortly, and I have a feeling you all know the answer. In the sanctuary city of Philadelphia, local officials refused to cooperate with ICE. We have a lot of ICE people here that know exactly what happened there, and they released a previously deported illegal alien back onto the streets after his release. The illegal alien raped and battered a child. In recent weeks, an elderly homeless woman in New York City was allegedly beaten to death by a twice-deported illegal alien. Two women in Oregon were sexually assaulted by an illegal alien previously deported 20 times. You hear that? 20 times. The list goes on and on. The true champions of justice are right here in this room, and they're proudly wearing the badge of American law enforcement. My pledge to each and every one of you is that my administration will not rest until you have the resources, the tools, and the authorities you need to do your job and do it properly and do it strong. You're saving lives. You're saving a lot of Americans. We will stop sanctuary cities. We will end the ridiculous policy of catch and release. Think about that. Just think about it. You catch somebody, bad. You take their name, and you release them. And except for politics, the Democrats all know it's wrong. But politics is absolutely paramount over law enforcement, safety, crime. 
We have to get people in that are going to do what's proper. I'll do what's proper. I'd vote the other way if I thought it was the proper thing to do. I don't have party lines. We will pass at some point, hopefully in the not-too-distant future, Kate's law. It's a great law, and it's sitting, waiting for a vote. We will destroy MS-13, and we will secure our border once and for all. You are the patriots, and you are the heroes, you are the fighters, and you are the warriors for justice. You are great people. You keep us safe, you keep us free, and you make us very, very proud. Very, very proud. You don't know what I'm talking about, right? You know that. Your father, you know that. And we're proud of them. I'm honored every single day to serve as your Commander-in-Chief. I will never leave your side. I will never leave the fight. I will never, ever let you down. So on behalf of a grateful nation, let me say once more, thank you for your service. You are truly incredible people. God bless you. God bless law enforcement. And God bless America. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Happy Monday. Welcome to The Briefing Room. I'm Devin Dwyer at ABC News Bureau in Washington, D.C. We are uh, kicking off the week with a little dose of politics and policy at the White House with a pep rally of sorts for ICE. I'm joined here by Justin Fischel, uh, our senior producer on the White House unit, Jordan Phelps, one of our White House reporters. The full team coverage uh, to talk about the president's remarks there and more in just a few minutes. We head out to Alexandria, Virginia, where the Manafort jury is still deliberating. Uh, but here we have the president yeah. sort of getting into midterm mode, talking about that red wave he's predicting and, and, and firing up the base. Yeah, and using one of his government agencies to host, as you said it earlier, a pep rally, an ICE Immigration and Customs Enforcement pep rally, which it, w which became a political rally as well. I mean, he, he is in there talking about the need for this, this organization, this department, that, but at the same time bashing Democrats and saying, you know, they want open borders. They don't want this agency to survive. Um, and so he has taken the agency and totally politicized it now. It is a hot-button political issue. We know the Dems have, some of them at least, have, have called for abolishing ICE. But uh, the president has taken that ball and ran with it completely. And uh, Tara over at the White House, our White House correspondent, let's bring her into the conversation. Uh, Tara Palmieri, the president there talking midterm politics. He has seized on the Abolish ICE movement, but he's also getting ready to make uh, the funding for his wall a big uh, fight at the end of, of next month, right? That's right. He's really tied the immigration issue into the midterm, almost making it a referendum. He used some new language today that I thought was interesting. 
He called anti-ICE politicians, people in general, open border extremists and radicals. I mean, those are words that we've used in relation to, you know, foreign terrorism. But it's it's really he's really escalating the language, which I guess isn't surprising when you hear how he talks about his enemies. But I think that's the first time I've ever heard him use that phrase. And I expect we'll hear a lot more of that before the midterms. And how far we've come about the funding for this wall, the president campaign, the first go round in 2016 with Mexico was going to pay for it. Now he's talking about taxpayers paying for it. Uh, and Tara, with the uh, government funding running out at the end of next month, he's even threatened a shutdown uh, over funding for ICE and for this wall. What, what are you what's your uh, latest reading of the tea leaves and whether that could happen? <laughs> Well, privately, he made a negotiation. He made an agreement, really, with Mitch McConnell in the Senate and Paul Ryan, the Speaker in the House, that they would push this and other controversial measures off until after the midterms. But it seems like he realizes that this is a politically juicy topic for him to talk about. He actually rallies about it at these events that he's been, all these rallies before. Um, so it seems like he may decide to take a huge political risk and go with it anyway. I mean, as we know with President Trump, he, he goes with his gut. And if his gut says shut the government down, mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. interesting. But the thing I'm hearing right now is not a peep out of the Democrats. They clearly don't want this to be called a Schumer shutdown again before the midterms. And so far, it sounds like a Trump shutdown if they're not talking. Uh, the president is fixated first and foremost on immigration. I think we can all agree his second uh, most uh, fixated topic is perhaps the Mueller investigation. The story from over the weekend, the New York Times uh, reporting that White House counsel Don McGahn, guys, sat down with mm -hmm. Robert Mueller for 30 hours seems to have gotten under his skin, Jordan. He has been tweeting up a storm today already about this. Yeah, it sure does. The president's tweeted on this about a dozen times since the weekend into today, and he just can't let it go. What seems to be at issue here is his previous legal team had this strategy of complete cooperation. Well, it now seems that the current legal team didn't know just how much McGahn was cooperating. Uh, but the president, you know, wants to make this case that I knew all along that McGahn was cooperating this much, but of course, for someone within the White House, the main White House order to be cooperating that much opens up a bag of worms for this hours. White House. It gives Mueller an eye into the storm. It allows him to connect some dots that otherwise he might not Did have been able to do. Did this surprise you, Justin? He is such a central figure yeah, in he, all of this. He's the White House attorney. He is the guy who says yes or no or reconsider this on basically every sensitive issue he's going to weigh in. So he would be in a unique position to have input on almost every single issue that Mueller would be seriously interested in. And 30 hours he spent uh, with, with that team. Now, look, we don't know what he said to them, but I think there's some, that, that's I think what scares them, as Jordan was saying the most. They don't know what he's saying either. Nobody really knows except for McGahn and, and those prosecutors. And Tara Palmieri was working the phones this weekend. She talked <laughs> to the president's uh, attorney, Rudy Giuliani, about all this, about this story. Tara, uh, give us the sense from Rudy Land as to how concerned they may be about what McGahn may have told Mueller. Well, publicly, they're saying that they don't believe that McGahn gave any damaging material on the president. In fact, they've been calling him a strong witness in their case. That might be a lot of spin, but I also think, as the New York Times reported, it's a wake-up call that they haven't looked into what the special, uh, the White House counsel has said to the special counsel at this point. And, you know, I spoke to Rudy, and he said he still hasn't heard back from Mueller in over a week and a half about this sit-down. But... You know, it's it's really drawing into questions. What do, does Mueller already know before the sit down? Because as we know, he's very scared that the president will be trapped into perjury.
And what Don McGahn may have told Mueller could feed mm. right into that, of course. Uh, Rudy Giuliani talking about the sit-down and some of the concerns, the risks that mm. you're talking about, Tara. Let's take a listen to what Giuliani said uh, on Meet the Press yesterday. Take a listen. Look, I'm not going to be rushed into having him testify so that he gets trapped into perjury. And when you tell me that, you know, he should testify because he's going to tell the truth and he shouldn't worry. Well, that's so silly because it's somebody's version of the truth, not the truth. He didn't have a, a conversation. Truth is truth. About, I, I don't mean to go like. I, no, I it isn't truth. Truth isn't truth. All right. And there we go. Truth isn't truth. That set off a firestorm on yeah. social media. Rudy Giuliani this morning, I think we have the tweet, uh, went uh, on social media to sort of clarify that statement. Truth isn't truth. He says, my statement was not meant as a pontification on moral theology, but when referring to the situation where two people make contradictory right. claims, he's basically saying, hey, look, this is a he said, she said exactly. situation with so much of what this case truth is Truth is not truth in the Trump world. There are just competing narratives about what the truth is. And, and what he's worried about is, frankly, the way I interpret the months of, of Giuliani talking is they, he worries that Trump's interpretation, Trump's version of the truth, is not going to match up with one or more person testifying to Mueller as well. And that uh, is why you hear him use that perjury chart. And that's probably why, as we've been saying all along, the sit-down will not happen, but the summer pushes on, the campaign is ahead, so perhaps... Uh, we may not see any major action on this uh, on the Mueller front until after uh, November. Meanwhile, the president is still at war with those critics in the FBI and the Justice Department. Uh, over the weekend, going another round now with John Brennan, uh, the yeah. former CIA director. Justin, I want to ask you, you've been leading the charge in our reporting on security clearances. Yeah. John Brennan yesterday, who had been stripped of his clearance, says he may file legal yeah. A, a legal action against this White House. He says but that. But can, he, can uh, he do anything? I mean, he could, I suppose. He, he Apparently, Brennan has been telling people that he lawyers have reached out to him uh, and have offered him legal advice about it. But, I mean, at the end of the day, what is he going to get out of that? He's going to go through some ugly, protracted legal battle with the White House. You know, it'll cost him a lot. And at the end of the day, what is he, he's going to get his security clearance back. I mean, I see it as something that realistically won't happen. It's not worth it. And of course, now we have the president fighting back, saying essentially bring on a lawsuit. I don't know if you guys have the tweet there mm -hmm. for us, but the president saying he actually wants Brennan to sue. Uh, now, why might the president want that? I don't know that he actually does, but the president, as we know, he loves a fight. He told us on Friday that he actually thinks he gave Brennan a bigger platform yeah. uh, by revoking his security clearance. So this sets uh, the president up against a former Obama official, gives him another foil to kind of attack, you know, what he calls the, the rigged it's, witch hunt. You it's know? a Monday of foils, yeah. illegal yep. immigration, Bob Mueller, John Brennan. Uh, something that is not a foil, but perhaps a pain in his side is this case of his own former yeah. personal attorney, Michael Cohen. Some alarming news in The New York Times this morning that Michael Cohen could soon be indicted before uh, the campaign heats up. So just a couple more weeks before that, I want to bring uh, Tara Palmieri back in on this one. She's been closely following this story. Tara, <laughs> Michael Cohen is the center of Donald Trump's universe. And now we're finding out that the feds are looking at potentially according to the Times, $20 million uh, in bank fraud. That would be quite something, even if it's not directly related to Trump. 
Right, and the feds are under some pressure right now to actually file those charges before the midterms because it's such a politically connected uh, case. So, you know, we'll see if they actually take the step forward and do that. But, you know, I spoke to uh, Michael Cohen's lawyer this weekend too, Lanny Davis, and, and he reiterated what he said to Politico earlier, that he's been actually talking to John Dean, the guy president called a rat, the whistleblower in the um, Watergate case, to ask him for advice on how to deal with the Cohen case, because he sees a lot of similarities of how the president and his men have been smearing his client, as he says, and also that there's a criminal and congressional investigation going on. But it's interesting how it all sort of going back to Watergate in a way, or John Dean over this weekend. It's going to be a tense couple of weeks for all of those players with uh, with this deadline ahead, and Cohen, of course, promising yeah. to cooperate. Well, with see, the this is the thing. I mean, this well. really ratchets up the pressure on Cohen to actually provide something. To, to give some intelligence of value to to the, 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 the to Mueller and his team, they're not just going to let him off the hook for these charges because he's agreed to cooperate. He has to produce something, and and now that uh, you know the prosecutors are showing their hand here, the the the, the, the pressure is on. All right, the pressure is on. Tara Palmieri, our White House correspondent, thank you so much for your excellent reporting and analysis. Let's head out to Virginia now, where there is uh, a trial underway for the President Trump's former campaign chairman, Paul Manafort. Of course, this was Mueller's first big test, uh, the, the indictment and now the trial. We're awaiting the jury. They're now in their third day of deliberating. Uh, let's bring in our Catherine Falders, who's been on the case from the start. Catherine, they're still behind closed doors. What uh, are we to make of this now lengthy deliberation? Still behind closed doors the last time we heard um, from them was about 9.30, so a little over five, almost six hours here. There have been no questions um, from the jury to the court. Uh, the last time we heard from them was on Friday when they wanted to end uh, early at five o'clock. So we saw lunch, uh, our troops up there reported back, we saw lunch getting uh, wheeled into them up there, so they're probably deliberating over lunch, Devin. But they have so many documents to go through, 388 exhibits. One of those is 700 pages in and of itself. And they've taken copious notes throughout this whole trial, constantly writing down in those little black and white composition notebooks. Some of the jurors even uh, have writer's cramp and they're shaking their hands in there. So they've taken this, at least from my observations, very seriously. And they even requested a bigger room to pour over all of this evidence. So what this tells me right now is they're really going through it um, swiftly. And, and before we let you go, I mean, there's every, this is very much a waiting game out there, but what's sort of the scuttlebutt on uh, the defense team's uh, state of mind? Are they, uh, last week you were telling us you saw them sort of pacing uh, nearby, waiting for this to come down. Are they sort of uh, optimistic that, that, that this has gone on this long? Yeah, and I keep looking around the camera here because we actually could see them in the lobby of the hotel across the street and that restaurant um, in that hotel where we sit all the time. But look, they view this, if, if you ask them, as a good thing for them. The jury is continuing to deliberate. They're going through all of this with a fine-tooth comb. They view these, what they think are extended uh, deliberations, as a good thing for them. And they say their client, Paul Manafort, he's very happy with the extended deliberations, Devin. 
All right, Catherine Folders out at the federal courthouse in Virginia. Thank you so much for that. We know you'll stay on the case. Stay with us here at ABC News Live for the latest on the Manafort case. We are staked out there. We'll bring it to you when we have it. Uh, and finally, on this Monday, we kick it uh, with an interesting activity today from the First Lady, who has kept a relatively low profile. Her Be Best campaign went on the road today. Jordan Phelps, you've been tracking this one. Uh, she is uh, out there at a cyberbullying summit this morning, of all things. <laughs> yeah, the irony is rich, guys. The First Lady was speaking out at a cyberbullying summit today outside of Washington. She told the crowd, in a lot of ways, children are better at knowing the pitfalls of social media than adults. The first lady might know an adult uh, who has a few issues with controlling himself on social media. Uh, but there's just obviously so much irony with this whole event because while the first lady is out there talking about being kind on the internet, the president is calling, you know, his detractors on the internet all these different <laughs> names. Uh, this morning he went on just a tirade as he is wont to do. Yes, so. Yes. Uh, Justin, you got any thoughts on the on the uh, event? No, actually, I don't. But we do have <laughs> we do have her sound, I believe, from today. Uh, we can play what she said. In today's global society, social media is an inventable part of our children's daily lives. It can be used in many positive ways, but can also be destructive and harmful when used incorrectly. This is why Be Best chooses to focus on the importance of teaching our next generation how to conduct themselves safely and in positive manner in an online setting. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the First Lady has been criticized a little bit for not putting enough teeth behind this whole Be Best policy. And one of her key uh, staffers just quit uh, in the last few months mm -hmm. that was helping her head up this whole thing. It's certainly, the, the initiative has good intentions. I think she has still yet to write the next few chapters of what this will actually do. And her spokeswoman this morning did acknowledge that criticism, and she said that the president stands fully behind his wife's initiative, okay. uh, unspoken, even if he doesn't embrace right, right, <laughs> the right. message of be best. Uh, but we do our best we to do. be best we around try. here. Uh, and our shout out to the First Lady for that, uh, for that initiative. And we thank you for watching us here on ABC News Live for all the latest on these and all the stories that we're tracking today. Be sure to join us for World News Tonight with David Muir and on the ABC News app. For now, I'm Devin Dwyer in Washington, Justin Fischel, Jordan Phelps. We'll see you next time.